my colleague said, I'm a tester, we're testers. We're, we're not really going to do this usability testing you're telling me about. And that is where I had to change my mindset. They're like, okay, yes, this is usability testing, but it's not something that testers will do. So that's where I had to mm -hmm. think about, okay, what can testers do? And their functional testing during a design sprint, to, not design sprint, during a sprint yeah, yeah. to mm -hmm. do usability, to test the usability of the products. And that's actually where some kind of switch happened and I started researching that. Hello and welcome to Liberated Tester Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I am Gunesh Patil. On this show, we uncover secrets to the right mindset and skills to help you succeed in your software testing profession. Tonight on the show, we have Kimberly. She dives deep into the field of UX, discussing her transition from testing to UX, the importance of usability testing, user profiles and personas, as well as her personal projects and tools. She talks about her experience teaching her colleagues about usability testing, her talks on better collaboration between UX and testing and her personal projects, including her award-winning product. Let's start our journey in the fascinating world of UX with Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you for accepting the invite and thank you for being here. I'm very happy to see you, very eager for the discussion as well. Thanks for having me. I, as a part of my research, I went through uh, your blog and other things. A very interesting thing that you have a bachelor's in cognitive AI, correct? Yeah, true. But now you're working as a UX specialist. And you also mentioned on your blog that the bachelor's wasn't exactly the thing that you're looking for. So yeah. when when you realized that, what were your feelings like? Were you... I mean, I, I would have been certainly depressed <laughs> to, to see <laughs> no, that I, I got all. a wrong bachelor's. But no. how, how did you handle that? And how, how did you come up with the next career moves after that? <laughs> yeah, well, for me, I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. So it mm -hmm. was an organic process. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then I saw cognitive artificial intelligence. And I was reading about <laughs> it, about the mind of, a, of, a, of people and how yeah. we investigate how it works. And then you can uh -huh. put it in a computer. So I don't know, somehow I was really excited about it. And I wasn't excited about anything else. So that was just <laughs> what I had to do. Okay. But yeah, during the study, I, I just didn't know what can I do <laughs> with this <laughs> with this education. You know, I learned so many things, psychology, philosophy, and then also uh, yeah, logic and, and, and uh, informat how do you say it? information science, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And that wasn't my strong suit. Although I thought it was really interesting and very important to know this because mm -hmm. we're living in this age where computers are so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, are playing an important part in our lives. So then I thought, okay, maybe this is also not my strong suit. You really had to remember all the parts in the brain and where they are, and it was really difficult. So oh, I thought, okay, okay. never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found this master's, Human Media Interaction. So it is about uh, computers, uh -huh, but it's more uh -huh. about the people, about the humans using the media and how they interact with it. So I thought it's the part of my education, which I like the most, the people, the, the psychology and the interaction with computers. So uh, it wasn't, I, I don't think it was a, a waste of time, <laughs> uh, especially now in this age where uh, AI is playing such an important role and it's coming, yeah, it's not coming up. It is there. It is the next big thing. 
Mm-hmm. So it's good to have some uh, background knowledge on it. That's that's great. That's great. Feels like kind of a destiny, right? I mean, <laughs> even though at that time you didn't really was thinking of this not being your strong suit, but now if you look at it, it's more like you are destined to be on this path, and then you just happen to be that. So you you had the background, you had the knowledge, uh, yeah. which came from academics for the uh, the psychology, the human interaction, and everything. But yeah. in terms of actually getting started with usability testing roles, okay. Yeah. Did you did you had to learn a new skill? Um, when I was in testing, so I started mm-hmm. in two thousand fourteen, right? Yeah. Then that is where I noticed, okay, I'm I'm missing the the user part. So I thought, what can I do in testing to mm-hmm. be closer to the end user? Okay, so then there was a guild, a usability testing guild within Capgemini. I joined. I joined the guild, uh-huh. and that is where I, um, I, of course, I knew a little bit of as well already about usability testing. But this shift that you are talking about is actually when I started teaching my colleagues about usability testing. So, so the traditional uh, sense of usability testing is somebody mm-hmm. um, who is testing their designs, right? It's actually that's that yeah, is how yeah. usability testing should be. It's not built yet. So it's actually not in the development mm-hmm. phase. It's before the development phase. So we're testing yeah. the designs and checking if it is according to the the, the needs of the of the end user. So I was mm-hmm. giving this mm-hmm. course. So I, I researched about usability. We gave some presentations about what is it uh, and, and how do you do it. And then we started a usability testing course we could give to our colleagues after attending the Nielsen and Norman uh, usability testing course. So that's a big uh, conference. Mm -hmm. Nielsen and Norman also the gurus in UX and they they gave this course. And when I I attended the course and then I gave this course also to my colleagues to inform them, that is actually when this this switch happened in my head because my colleague said, I'm a tester, we're testers, we're we're not really going to do this usability testing you're telling me about. And that is where I had to change my mindset. They're like, okay, yes, this is usability testing, but it's not something that testers will do. So that's where I had to mm-hmm. think about, okay, what can testers do in their functional testing during a design sprint, to, not design sprint, during a sprint yeah, yeah. to mm-hmm. do usability, to test the usability of the products. And that's actually where some kind of switch happened and I started researching that. Mm. Like how, yeah, what can they do? Because they're not going to ask users on the street, hey, uh, can you uh, can you use this product? <laughs> you don't have time in a sprint to do this. Yeah. I think yeah. that's uh, the big switch that happened. Um, yeah. So traditionally, I would, I would say that usability was more like perceived as a UAT phase kind of a testing. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So when, when we are, when we are looking at um, doing usability so early in the life cycle, uh, what are some of the key factors? So let's say tomorrow, if I want my team to start usability testing, so we have a concept of pods where we, um, where we run the sprints in terms of pods. So in that pod, it's, we have a dev instance where everything gets deployed daily. So in that, say, in that particular instance, if I want uh, people to start doing their uh, usability testing as well, firstly, is that a good place to start? Secondly, if I want to start, what are the some of very basic uh, things or the needs for the usability testing that I should take care? Yeah, it's difficult. At first, I actually started in the UIT, um, what you're talking about, not, not, the, not mm-hmm. the unit integration test actually, but more the, 
the the visual test when the application is uh, is designed and you have the front end you can test. Yeah, yeah. That is when you think, okay, do I understand? Do I understand the text on the button? Do I understand mm -hmm, how to go mm -hmm. through this flow? Yeah. Um, so those are things I started with. And you're asking actually, when can you best start? Can you also do it earlier? Mm. And this is this is quite a difficult question. You can, of course, do testing, uh, usability testing in the sense of accessibility testing. And that's when you do test automation through the code, right? So you check Got if it. your code is yeah. well written. And mm -hmm. accessibility is a part of usability. So if, if something is not accessible, it's also not usable, right? Got so it. Got those it. are things you can uh, test um, uh, in the, the structure of your code. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is, yeah, you can do that early, uh, early on as well. But yeah, usability testing is more than only accessibility. And yeah, sometimes yeah, it's difficult to uh, to say that you do it earlier on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So is it is it more like on the maturity of the application, it helps more uh, in terms of because if you look at it, uh, once the design is frozen, right? Uh, once those aspects of the interactions are already decided those will continue to stay as is i think you should test usability in more and not not you should not want to localize it in one phase you mm -hmm. should test it in different phases so unit is a, a good phase to check the basics and for example accessibility mm -hmm. but i think you you should not forget uh, to do it in the other phases as well and that's what i think is important with i think it's important that testers know about usability testing because you might say, oh, the developers do it in the unit testing phase or the designers have done it in the design phase. But it's, it doesn't end there. I think you should also do it in the later stages as well. And you can also do it in production. Because when yeah. you're in production, yeah. then you know that how users are using your product and if it's uh, clear to them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think you should do it in, uh, in uh, all phases possible. Okay. Have and, extra then... checks. and you can check different mm -hmm. things, of course. You're not testing the same thing. Okay. And... As part of my recent uh, work, um, kind of POC kind of thing, we also started looking at few accessibility tools and plugins and other things. And what I have observed is um, the automated usability testing tools are usually a lot pricey. I mean, they, they cost a lot if you want to do an automated uh, testing uh, of that. So, so how can we make that automated accessibility more accessible? To people to start actually yeah. to start actually doing it uh, from an early stage. I mean, if we yeah. if we come up with tools which have like less price, then maybe the the propagation whole propagation thing would be yeah, much easier. Uh, what is what is one thing that we can change in this to have more effect? And let people start more on these things. What what are some of the things that you think people who develop these tools should be doing? Well, I think there are a lot of accessible tools already, there, mm -hmm. especially for accessibility. There are so many uh, tools um, and plugins, for example, um, uh, for dyslexia or for people with uh, different uh, eye imp yeah, impairments. So mm -hmm. they maybe have only tunnel vision or they uh, have something else, different colors. They see they don't see different colors. So there's so many plugins in which you can experience how people, how different people experience your uh, your website. So yeah it's it's um it's difficult um usually you're going to have to pay something for uh, for good tools uh, and there are also a lot of free uh, plugins 
uh, which you can help with which can help you with the uh, with uh, different testing for example x the x uh, mm -hmm. engine there's so many different accessibility tools built on this x engine which are as far as i know free i think there is uh, there is a lot uh, to choose from i'm kind of new to the field so i want yeah. to know more about it like what what exactly comes under the usability umbrella i just know one factor of it which is accessibility yeah. so what are what are some of the other things that we should be doing as part of usability um so i call it ux testing so what other things can you do to test the ux or the usability of mm -hmm. your uh, your application and i usually usually use the 10 heuristics by uh, nielsen so the first one is a uh, visibility of system status so yeah. and it's really strange but this is one thing that uh, that really happens that when you're waiting for inf for something to be done so you're pressing a button for example and you're waiting for something to be loaded mm -hmm. that there's not a spinner or a loader <laughs> it happens still <laughs> that, uh, that you're like okay did something happen should i press the button again and then you press it 10 times and everything uh, gets stuck <laughs> so that's something that's usability that you okay. know what's going on that uh, mm -hmm. you see the load you see okay the application is processing uh, I can wait. And sometimes there's also um, when you're uploading something, it might say one of one is uploading so many minutes uh, oh, uh, left. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, those kind of things. We also have a help and documentation where you can find uh, the help uh, you need when you're using an application and you're stuck and you're not sure how to use it. You can find the FAQ section, for example, oh, or validations. Correct. Validations uh -huh. is also something in accessibility, of course, because then it is about uh, understanding the validations, understanding mm -hmm. uh, why something is wrong when you're trying to fill in a form, for example. Uh, and with usability, it's about where are the validations placed, because sometimes they are not um, below the input field or somewhere yeah. else on the on the page. <laughs> so you want it near the input field, and you want it not to say like. Um, um, I don't know, something, oops, something is wrong. You cannot send in this form, but you want it exactly to say, okay, uh, your last name is not filled in or um, your phone number only uh, has nine digits and it should have 10, you know, clear, clear yeah, uh, validation yeah. messages. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's more about feedback from the system to the user. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. okay, is, yeah. okay. So in, in terms of having that, so let's say I'm testing one of the page for these all these aspects. Hmm. So not necessarily my Jira or whatever document I'm using would have all those information, right? I hmm. I need to know what a user is. I, I think the term for yeah. it is a persona. I'm really uh, intrigued by the idea of actually getting into those shoes and understanding uh, the user to in, yeah. a, in order to see the impact of what you're doing on the actual user. But is there anything specific that you look for as a quality gate when you are trying to do usability testing and the information that you get from the requirements should have, let's say, these three, point, three points? Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, I, I think there are things I would like to see in these, uh, in these uh, acceptance criteria, actually, right? Mm -hmm. There's also this is also one of the things I have in my talk that you use the personas in your user stories, so that you're not saying like as a user I want to be able to fill in this form. It's like okay, as a user, every all user stories are for the user, yeah, so it yeah. doesn't really <laughs> add anything to the user story. 
But if you, if you have your personas and one of your personas is Ganesh and one of your personas mm-hmm. is uh, if your personas is uh, is Angela, a woman of uh, maybe 80 years and she has very bad vision, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you want to say, as Angela, I want to be able to uh, fill in this form. And then you know, hey, Angela has poor sight, so I want to make the letters bigger or she's going to zoom in. And this is something yeah. I need to test, to zoom uh, 200% and everything still needs to work. So, um, yeah. yeah, those are things I uh, do miss in the in the user stories and uh, would like to see there, yeah. That's a very, very, um, very informative point that you mentioned because when we are testing, um, most of the test cases that are written, whether they are functional or whether they are unit tests, whatever they may be, they they are very generic. They don't They don't consider any particular profile that they are writing it for or any particular, as you mentioned, Angela has a bad eyesight. For me personally, I work for a company which works for the insurance uh, guys and they have a variety of age groups that can access and they have a variety of devices that they can access onto. So this kind of information is very, very critical uh, for us to actually do justice to what is being built. Yeah. So yeah, that that was a that was a very nice, very yeah. good point and, that I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's easy to make uh, examples for accessibility. So I was thinking also more on the lines of usability. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also think when I'm making personas, I also think about what applications this uh, the people already use. So are you somebody who really loves Apple products? Or are you somebody who really loves uh, uh, Android, Android mm-hmm. products or Google? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's also something you take into account with your personas because you know what what um, interactions these people are used to. And that's also you can uh, also something you could uh, say like um, Kimberly is your uh, is your uh, persona and she loves us. She always has uh, has Android phones. Uh, so don't uh, yeah. Then you know okay she's a, she's someone who's used to this interaction and we have like an Apple kind of interaction in our design. Will she yeah. understand it? Yeah, no, no. This is just a, an example, but it's, it's also something you uh, you could think about. Yeah, that's a that's a very deep level of um, investigation that has to actually go in when any product team comes with the a particular product specifications. Yeah. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of human things involved, and we all say that humans are very emotional beings. So, like you said, if they if they don't get a feedback from the system they would be agitated, they would be angry, or they would be upset to see the system behave in that way. In your experience, like, do you really see UX design uh, evolving as per the need of the human beings to actually cater their emotions as well into the designs? Do you see, have you seen that progressive behavior? Um, Yes and no. Mm -hmm. On one hand, um, yeah. When I saw this question, I, I thought, I don't really see my own emotions in my design or something. Um, but on the other hand, um, I do see immediately, not immediately, yeah, I do feel when the designer is ready or right. Sometimes I make a design, I, I talk to my uh, my colleague about it. I just spar with him, like, hey, what do you think? And he says, yes, I like it. I think uh, we can use this. And then mm-hmm. I feel something in me. I think no, it's mm-hmm. not. It's not right yet. It's uh, something. Something is not clear. I don't think it's simple enough. It can be simpler. And then I uh, go back with maybe another design, or I talk to the developers, and they say, "Oh, this is really difficult to build. We can do the other design, which was actually my favorite." And then we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we can, yeah. So I feel when something 
can be better. So that's one uh, one part of the answer of this uh, question. And another question, uh, the, another answer, uh, is this uh, industry evolving? Yeah. I hope it is, because mm -hmm. I have learned about neurodiversity. Do you know a lot about neurodiversity? Yes, I Simon was on the show, so I I had a oh, I had a chat with okay. him uh, regarding this. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I can I don't see say that I'm an expert or anything, but I know mm -hmm. slight bit of it. Yes, yeah. but if you yeah. can, if you want I'm to add something, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> this since I learned about um about different because we when we talk about accessibility, we know about okay people who are blind, uh, people who are deaf, you know things are really quite straightforward we know them already yes but when yes. we're talking about people with adhd or autism mm. or you know yeah. other things that we, we we might not really know how these people feel um then we talk about anxiety for example so when you i sub, uh, what i learned in this uh, meetup about neurodiversity and design when mm -hmm. you uh unsubscribe for a newsletter for example which i'm doing a lot of a lot lately because my gmail is running out of storage <laughs> <laughs> But then I unsubscribe for a, for a newsletter and they say like, oh, we're so sad to see you go. You know why? Um, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. That's yeah. something what I learned is that a, a neurodiverse person might be really um, anxious about. They see yes. it and I say, oh, I don't want to make somebody sad. Okay, no, I will not unsubscribe. So, you, yeah, you. I, I hope designers and the design world will learn more about this and just mm -hmm. be more straightforward like oh but it's for some people it's nice you know to say oh i was valued as a as a customer so there are two sides about it but also think about those people who yeah who are something who can maybe be easily manipulated or who don't feel nice when they see that who feel anxious i don't want that so just be clear about it you want to unsubscribe okay this is what is going to happen you will not receive any emails anymore mm -hmm. that's just the facts you know yes so, yes yeah, correct i i, yeah. I think that there is something going to happen in the design world, uh, which in which we will learn more about this and how to handle these uh, extra things we need to do, take care uh, of, mm -hmm. we need to learn about. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting uh, to see that that thought being actually translated into the designs as well. Because uh, when I was talking to Simon Fryer, um, it was more uh, onto the interactions with them uh, when they are onto your team or when they when you are hiring them how um, how you should be more sensitive towards their needs because i mean every everyone has their quirks right i mean you you can't <laughs> you can't even if yeah. you you are neurotypical you you also have your quirks right you you would get angry at something particular right so <laughs> yeah. that that's always the case uh, so yeah i mean uh, i was exposed to that topic when i was talking to him i did a uh, slight bit of reading on it uh, found it interesting so I, it's still still kind of an early phase for me as well. If you are really enjoying the episode, may I request you to do one thing for me. There is a SpeakPipe account set up for this podcast. Please visit the page and record your voice feedback. We will be featuring some of the voice feedback on the podcast. Thank you. I know you, you are more um, people-oriented person and that might be leading to you becoming a community builder but what was what was that inspiration behind actually being community builder was was that any particular person or an event uh, how did you become one i don't know if it was uh, one specific person or or uh, it wasn't really 
you know, sometimes I'm quite impulsive. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't really like, oh, I'm going to build a community. Uh, I was no. just, uh, I was going to these ladies at UX meetups in Amsterdam, uh, okay. which is like 30 minutes by train from Utrecht. So it's not really far away. But mm -hmm. still, the meetups are always in the evening. So you get there at 7, it ends at about 10, and then you have to travel back home. And I really liked those uh, those meetups. It was really a different feeling than I had at other meetups, where you felt really welcome. And it was organized by women, just like myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was a really nice atmosphere, where, you, where everybody was welcome. And if you come alone, you don't know every, anybody. The people who organize it have time to come to you and ask, hey, who are you? They make a chat. But normally, I also went to other meetups where I'm standing alone in the corner. And sometimes <laughs> it's really hard, you know, to, to yeah, I'm quite yeah. a social person, but still, yeah, you need to have, you need to want to make that effort sometimes. And sometimes you're tired and you don't feel like, oh, I'm just, I have to go in a group mm -hmm. and I don't know everybody. So yeah, this meetup group, it makes me, it made me feel welcome. And also, of course, the topic, it was about UX and I wasn't testing mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know more about UX and um, be involved in this, uh, in this um, group of, uh, of people. So that was actually the reason uh, why I thought, okay, we can also do this in Utrecht, right? Why does, oh, why do all the meetups have to be in Amsterdam, the big city? <laughs> Utrecht is a great city. It has a lot of companies as well. And yeah, uh, we yeah. also have a lot of UXers. So, um, yeah, that's actually the reason why I asked them, like, hey, can we uh, use the same name to make this uh, meetup group in Utrecht? Or should mm -hmm. I just uh, uh, come up with another name? And then they uh, told me it was a global uh, meetup, a uh, global community. So it mm -hmm. was in, like, 45 cities all over the globe back then. Oh, okay. It was in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, and now it's in over 80 cities all over the globe. So it really wow. uh, yeah, spread mm -hmm. around the globe. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good to know. So, um, yeah. what are, what are typical, um, topics that you cover in those meetups? Like what, what really happens? So different, different topics about UX research, about usability testing or, uh, quantitative usability testing versus qualitative usability testing or, uh, sketch noting is also one of the meetups where you just, mm. just have your, uh, creative skills and learn how to make sketch notes or content design or design sprints. It was every, actually anything in the UX field. Oh, wow. So you mentioned something about quantitative and qualitative that, yeah. that, that actually caught my ear. So <laughs> would you, would, can you like explain slightly more on that? Like what, how do you define that? Those two terms? Yeah. I can't tell you a lot about quantitative usability <laughs> testing. I have to say, um, the first meetup we had in 2000, was it 2016? Yeah, it was the first real meetup in 2016. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. It was about quantitative usability testing. And I didn't okay. even know it existed. I thought, you know, mm -hmm. usability testing, what I always learned is that you have uh, five to seven uh, people uh, in, in, uh, who you show your design to, and you ask them to... Um, Give them a task and they go through your design and see if they if they get it you know okay, and it's okay. only five to mm -hmm. seven people because uh, if you ask more people the same um findings will come out of so you have this curve that after seven people you actually won't find a lot of new findings so that's enough okay so that's what okay. i know about usability uh -huh. testing but uh, our one of our first speakers was uh, about quantitative, and I don't remember because it was a long time ago. <laughs> so I really have to dig back uh, into what it was uh, about. But I can also think now about, for example, unmoderated usability testing. 
Because normally you have someone, you ask them, hey, can you go through this design? But you also yeah, have usability yeah. testing via internet and you can just see what people do and they're not moderated. So nobody asks them to do a task or watches, uh, um, or yeah, they're not there to ask questions, but you can see what they do. And you do give them a, a task in some uh, in some situations. So um, that's of okay. course quantitative mm -hmm. because you have, can have 50 people um, on your website and uh, you can observe how they... Uh, how they use it oh interesting so these are these are more like um, like crowd testing but it's not a dedicated crowd testing kind of a thing it's just you just let people use your product and then get the feedback yeah from them. i'm not sure i think you can have difficult uh, difficult different uh, ways so you can have um you can ask people mm -hmm. like do you want to take part in this unmoderated session and then you uh, ask like 10 people or 20 people you know you can uh, you can do it really structured but i don't know if you call it usability testing if you're doing it at the end so when it's already in production and okay. more mm -hmm. the the ceo you know like like um google analytics for example like uh, oh. how many people press this button how many people take mm -hmm. this flow you can also, of course, uh, look at it that way, and then it's really quantitative. So you really look at how people use your website. But I'm not really an expert in this, so um, I cannot uh, really go into much detail because I'm just saying what I uh, what I think, and not it's not really based on uh, anything. Okay, all right. Um, so um, you mentioned about your speaking gigs and uh, the things that you do as a speaker. Um, I guess um, I like in our pre-interview you said you already did like nine talks in this year. Alone, yeah. do you think? Do you notice any change in your personality when you actually started speaking on stage? I'm not sure. I actually uh, always the the reason I got into speaking is because it goes quite easy for me. You know, mm -hmm. when I was younger and I was in school and I had to uh, present something, I was always afraid, but I did it. And then people come to me afterwards and they say, oh, you did so well. Mm. And I feel like I was stuttering the entire time and it didn't go well. So that's, I think, also a tip that um, the listeners can do for other people. Is yeah. When yeah. you like a speaker, tell them. Because it really helps with your, um, um, yeah, with feeling feeling good and feeling uh, okay about, <laughs> about what you did, about your presentation. <laughs> and... Because people say that to me a lot of the time. Still, they come to me and they say, "Oh, it went so well. Thank you. You you speak so uh, lively and so um, yeah, so fun and and uh, positively, and then yeah, it gives me uh, the strength to, to do it again because I inspire other people. So I think that yeah, I don't know if it's something that really changed in me, but it did help me not to be so afraid. You know, each yeah. time when I yeah. have to present, mm -hmm. especially when I have to go on stage, because most of these nine talks were online, but like two or three of them maybe were were really on stage. And yeah, then I get, it's even more nerve wracking. But <laughs> um, yeah, I still do it because I know it will be okay. And it's, I'm passionate about a topic. So when I start talking, I just, uh, I know what to say and it will be okay. And then people really come to me afterwards. Oh, um, uh, there's in one of the presentations, a, a woman came to me and she said, wow, you really inspired me because I also have a lot of ideas, but mm -hmm, I never mm -hmm. really do anything about it. And seeing you up there made me feel like, hey, I can do it too. And so thank you. She said, it was like, wow, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can really help somebody with, uh, 
with my presentation so yeah that's why i keep yeah that that kind of feedback really yeah it really instills the confidence yeah. to do it again as well right yeah yeah and that's actually the reason why i will keep doing it because there was a time where I, where i thought hey should i keep doing this you know i'm not the person who knows so much ux testing is my topic and i don't know if i know anything else <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i think I should I should keep doing it because we're all learning, you know. I'm now yes. learning about skilled agile and UX, and mm. of course I don't have all the answers, but it helps me to learn and it helps me to share my knowledge and to inspire other people. And I'm only human, so if I make mm. a mistake, yeah, so so be yeah, it. Yeah, that's know? perfectly perfectly <laughs> okay. human, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. Um, so um, uh, what are some of your um? tips if someone new has to start uh, with a ux um, so let's say they want to start on a ux journey um what would you suggest for them to pick up as a first step and then they can take it from there um do you mean anyone or a tester specifically uh let's let's go for testers transitioning into ux like you you like yourself maybe yeah yeah, yeah. Well, what I have I have heard this question more <laughs> more than once because uh, at Capgemini I'm the tester who went to UX, but there are a lot of testers who go to UX now nowadays, so it's not yeah. so uh, so weird or uh, far fetched. Um, but for me, how I did it was to really focus within testing on mm-hmm. uh, UX. So starting with usability testing, which was quite difficult. Uh, because yeah. of course usability testing in a traditional sense is not really something that testers do so maybe i would recommend uh, uh diving into accessibility testing first because that's also within design really important um so that's something i would really recommend i also did that myself learned a lot about accessibility and that's why that's the the, the knowledge i can take with me into design uh, easily mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay um mm-hmm. so that's the first thing yeah, and what else can you do? Courses. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have a UX background, because I did, of course, interaction design. You know, human media interaction was my uh, master's. But um, yeah, if you don't have a, a design background or a user experience background, I would recommend to follow courses. You have so many courses online. The Nielsen and Norman group are the most uh, popular, but also the most expensive <laughs> uh, group to uh, to have a course. But um, I don't know if it's uh, international. I think UX Academy is from the Netherlands. Uh, but yeah, you have so many different uh, different um, courses online on Coursera yeah. already. Uh, yeah. So that that is on the technical side of it. Uh, in terms of a behavioral side of the role, uh, what what would you suggest from let's say um, soft skills point of view? What should they pick up to actually move into this? Yeah, I think testers have a lot of. Yeah, sorry. Oh. Damn, <laughs> that's what I wanted to say. Because testers usually have really good communication skills, right? Yeah. Mm, maybe a PO, because I think that testers have good communication between the developers and themselves. Mm-hmm. But the PO, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're really close to the product owner. And of course, it could, they're different kind of testers. What I see in my team. Is that my testers, the testers in my team, they're focused on what they're doing right now within the sprints, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know? Yeah, okay, I have yeah. to test this. I have to make sure the test automation is in place. But take a, a broader look, like what uh, is coming? Where are, what are we working towards? For who are we doing it? And I think mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. a very big thing that anyone in the team can can think more about. 
And that's, of course, where UX starts, you know, who am I building this for? Yeah, think about that. And I used to, when I was a tester, we had these personas hanging on the wall in our uh, in, in, in the office and nobody ever oh. looked at the, at the personas mm-hmm, because we're mm-hmm. not really using them, you know? But if you yeah. use them in the user stories, like we talked about, yes, that's correct. already one thing that you that will make you go to that board and look at your personas and get to know your users. So that's, I think, the second step. Get to know your users. Maybe the first step. What was the first step again? <laughs> <laughs> Getting the actual technical education. knowledge. Education. Yes, education. And also another step, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's late here. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, just uh, get to know your users. That's a, that's a really important one because when you're testing it, of course, you need to know who's going to use it as well. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure how many um, how many apps you use usually on your phone or anything. I I, I am a I'm kind of an app. What do you say? I have a huge number of apps <laughs> on my phone. So, yeah, <laughs> app I'm order. a huge app order. Yeah, correct. That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> so I have I've close to 150, 160 apps on my wow. phone. Wow. And I I. I I try to keep on uh, using them and see um, how they're doing a particular things. But what are what are some of your favorite apps from, let's say, a UX point of view or, or websites that you usually use? Mm, yeah, difficult. I'm not really an app person. All right. Um, anything like maybe. a website or anything that you use. Yeah. yeah. Um, Medium. I like Medium mm-hmm. uh, and Pinterest. Those are things. I, I actually don't use Pinterest a lot, but when I'm Googling something, for example, that's safe, and I don't know if it was that, but Googling skilled agile and UX, and I come across mm-hmm. uh, pictures of people who made visuals about the topic. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, you come into this Pinterest hole where you can keep finding mm-hmm. more uh, more pictures about it. And yeah, I uh, for accessibility, for example, there's also a lot of these, uh, these nice uh, cards of um, the English government, I think, who... Um, made these visuals about what to do and what not to do uh, for accessibility. Mm-hmm. I also like that to, uh, uh, to, to hoard these visuals of different <laughs> kind of, uh, of people, of different kind of, uh, of uh, yeah, how do you say groups in accessibility. So those are apps. What are the apps I use actually? Slack. I also use Slack, but that's, um, yeah, it depends if it's really busy in the Slack groups or if I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's Canva. Canva is now also my favorite app for making visuals for ladies at UX, but also my Christmas card I made with Canva or a little oh. book I made for as a mm-hmm. Christmas present. Canva <laughs> <So laughs> is also a good app. Yeah, I use it yeah. for all my uh, images that I put yeah? on social media for the podcast. Nice, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really nice uh, right, right. app. Oh, yes. One key question. <laughs> How do you how do you feel about the award that you received from ah. Eurostar? <laughs> <laughs> That's a big question, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have it here; it's downstairs. But um, yeah, I was yeah I was really uh, flabbergasted if that's the word. I had yeah I didn't dare to dream that I would really win the award. It's the Rising Star Award for the people who don't know it. I actually just. Yeah, it, it was just like a impulsive thing. I happened to have this uh, this this thing I was working on about this um, this this tool, the hurry mm-hmm, checker, mm-hmm. or I don't know if we have a better name for it yet, <laughs> but something to automate to automate these uh, uh, usability heuristics. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I know Sana Fister, who won the award, I think in 2019, 
I know her and I know she won the award. And then I saw the email that said, if you have um, a, a new idea, an, an innovative idea in testing, just uh, apply. I thought, oh, I think my idea is innovative. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really impulsive. I thought, let's just try it. And then I uh-huh. actually won it. So yeah, it was beyond my wildest dreams. And I'm really, um, yeah, really honored to, to have won it. That's how I feel, I think, honored. And also a bit overwhelmed because there are 20 well-known testers who will guide me to this this journey. I still have half mm-hmm. a year left. So one year long, I can really uh, get help from uh, testers all over the globe. Yeah, yeah. And it's really difficult, you know, to to speak to so many people, to remember all the things they tell you, to make progress and uh, yeah, do something with all this information. And there's information coming from everywhere. Is it a good idea? Is it not a good idea? Uh, have you thought about AI? Uh, is it possible? So yeah, I got really swung everywhere and... <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah you just you have a little bit pressure right you want to do yes, it really well yes. you want to uh um surprise everybody but yeah make most out of it and that's sometimes uh yeah difficult to to know if you're on the right path yes correct yeah but yeah i think i i'm doing my best i did I made a survey i'm trying to uh, write blogs to tell about the updates i made the progress mm-hmm. i made mm-hmm. And I already got some good feedback as well. Like uh, you're you're uh, doing your best, you're doing well. And um, I cannot do more, right? So I do have the plans for next year to plan some more calls. You know, now I have to have the year which I can yeah, contact yeah. all these mm-hmm. great testers to learn more. And um, yeah, that's uh, I, I want to make the most of it for the next half a year. Well, congratulations once again yes, for the award. So do we do we expect that to be uh, maybe productized and see it as a product, your idea? Is that something that we can expect? Yeah, I hope so. I don't really have the time to do and, and the skills <laughs> to develop it myself. But I do have, uh, I made a new friend, uh, Kartek in India, who mm-hmm. uh, has made a similar tool. So he will uh, help us. He wants to help us with it. Uh, and I'm actually, uh, I have a vacancy online for an intern who can also make progress with development. Oh, okay. So okay. let's mm-hmm. hope that an intern can help us with, to make some speed because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm already in a 36 hour work week. So I don't have a lot of time <laughs> and the knowledge to develop it myself. And everybody who is good at developing also has a 40 hour work week. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I can't promise that we'll have a finished product, but I do want to have a POC at the end of the Rising Star year. So we have a little working version to prove that it's, uh, it is feasible. Oh, wow. You'll wow. see how you call it, yeah. Oh, wow. We're looking forward to it and all the, all the very best for all the development and all the efforts. Thank you. Yeah. All right, then. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for your yeah. time. Thank, Thank you, you very well. much for yeah. being on the show. I really appreciate it. All the very best for your journey uh, within UX. We hope to see the new product and we hope to see more talks in <laughs> no coming pressure. years from your side. <laughs> no pressure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank have a, have you. a nice evening. Yes. Sleep well and yes. uh, let's keep in touch. I'll uh, follow your yes. podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a happy new year with your family. Thanks. You too. Happy new year Thank as you. well. And uh, talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found it useful. If you did learn something new today, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and also share, rate, subscribe to the podcast. 
so that you get the notifications for the new episodes as and when they're launched. Thank you for being here. It really means a lot to me. If you want to contribute to the podcast or have your name featured on the podcast, please join the private Telegram channel. All the links are mentioned in the description below. Until we meet again, it's a goodbye from my side. Take care and be in great health. Thank you.